Welcome everyone, Mike Vinoy from Assure Software. Uh, really excited about today's guest. Uh, we're, we're gonna unpack, uh, uh, I think a legendary story, uh, uh, Steve Robinson, former chief marketing officer, uh, kind of there from the beginning, if you will, uh, with, with Chick-fil-A, uh, talking about how to, how to build a brand. Um, and I know normally we talk in our weekly show about uh, compliance and tax and team building. Uh, I, I really want to kind of lean in on Steve's uh, experience here about how, how to build a brand, how do we think about growing our companies, uh, but really primarily, how do we grow our companies through an employment brand? How do we, how do we attract the right kind of people that are, that are behind our mission, our vision, our values? Uh, and how do we think about retaining and developing that talent uh, to, to, to really be in it for the long haul? So uh, uh, Steve uh, is... Uh, 34 years, I, I, I guess, uh, with uh, yeah, 35. Yep. 35 years with Chick-fil-A. Um, mm -hmm. uh, took it from uh, $100 million in, in sales uh, up to nearly $6 billion. Uh, uh, welcome. Really looking forward to today's conversation. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, jump in. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe for the average entrepreneur, maybe it's the home builder who does, remodels kitchens and bathrooms. Maybe it's the salon owner. Um, they think about their craft and they think about serving customers uh, in attracting and, and doing the best work for those customers. They might not think of, of a brand. Can, can we just start there? Can you kind of share what your definition of, of brand yeah. is? Maybe it's not. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll give you two simple themes. One is I operated on the premise that a brand is a promise, um, which means anything and everything associated with the brand, uh, the product, the experience, relationships, anything that touches the customer um, is either gonna deliver on that promise, build on that promise or not. Uh, I think most people, most business people think about their business transactionally. How can I get more customers? How can I get more cash register rings? I think uh, uh, when you when you look at trying to deliver on a promise, <clears throat> think about it now, promise is very relational. It, it's, it's something you have between someone you care about or love. And so <clears throat> building great brands, ultimately build on a relational and very often an emotional foundation. That's the first thought. Uh, the second thought, which builds on that, is to think of your business, every aspect of your business. I use the flywheel in my book to explain it. Every interaction point with customers, how do you design that interaction? The product, the service, the, the, the process of paying, communications, uh, recruiting and developing talent, um, being very conscious, very intentional about every touch point being designed to deliver the promise. So it, that's part A is a promise, part B is in <coughs> designing the, the, the strategic plans and the systems to deliver every experience that delivers on the promise. Um, now, that said, you can't do any of this if you have a culture that does not uh, give you a foundation for a relationship-oriented attitude. 
And when I walked into Chick-fil-A, I, I didn't really understand it until I got into the interview process, uh, which went on for over five months. Yeah. Um, but as I spent time with Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, Jimmy Collins, his, his COO, and others on the staff, I soon learned, and Truett verbalized it for me, that he was more concerned about who I was and what I was going to do. Um, he was trusting Jimmy and others to figure out if I could do the job. He was more interested in my character, whether we got fun together, could he trust me? And what I learned over 35 years, Mike, is that uh, if all that was there, he will empower you. And he did empower me. And through through his behavior with me, I empowered the talent that I attracted and the, and the team that I built. And when you have people you can trust, you have fun with, you trust their character, not just their skill set, it allows you to release creativity and innovation. Um, uh, innovation doesn't have to go vertical. It can go, it can go to the lowest levels uh, in the organization that ultimately touch the customer. Right, so right. I, I have a I have a slide, an opening slide on my my speech that I often give because um, uh, this the the this culture is the soil of great brands, but only if leaders cultivate the soil. And that right. was that was who Truett Cathy was. Uh, he cultivated a cultural soil that, as a result, as I learned more about him and the culture allowed us to really go hard on building a relationship brand, not a transactional brand. Steve, if you could comment on, on maybe some things that a brand isn't. So like when I talk to people about brand, um, I, 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 I think about experience, right? It's, it's, it's what, you, what we experience, it's what we do, not what we say, right? When we walk into that uh, storefront and we see the old, uh, I'm sure you remember, you did a lot of business in malls, uh, the old uh, accessories store, right? And there's the two shaking hands in the lobby that says our, the customer is, not our, is our number one, right? But yet the, the clerk doesn't make eye contact with you and right. they're on the cell phone and, and, right. and actions don't uh, Speak into that if you could about what a brand isn't. Well, <clears throat> many people think, and I, and I dealt with this for probably 10 to 15 years of the early part of my career at Chick-fil-A, uh, people thought brand was marketing. Right. Um, oh, well, that's just marketing. Well, uh, no, uh, uh, marketing is, should be subject uh, to the brand. Uh, the brand, as I've already said, the brand is every, every touch point, every experience people have with a company that's what the brand is. Now, most people um, think, okay, I got to develop a brand for my widget. Right. Well, the widget is just part of the brand. I mean, Chick-fil-A was a, now think about this, Chick-fil-A was a piece of chicken on two pieces of white bread and two pickles. Two pickles, yeah. And crucial pickles. And for years, even while I was there, all they cared about was selling more of those chicken sandwiches. And yet they had a founder who was very relational. 
And uh, so with time, we were able to, to step back and, and apply not only uh, vigorous <laughs> process improvements to the operational experience, the food and the, uh, the, the point of contact experience, but over time we were able to add uh, relational communications, fun communications using the cows. We were able to add hospitality beyond just getting the order right. We were able to, to develop systems of recruiting, development, and training where uh, it was, it, it started with the culture, it started with Druid, it started with this whole idea of delivering the ultimate brand promise, which is we actually care about you. You're going to get a great fast food experience, but you're going to get it from people who care about you. That was the brand promise, which meant, you know, as as early as um, as 2001, when we started thinking about ramping it up on hospitality, that meant we had 50,000 employees. We had to teach how to deliver not just the product, but to deliver hospitality. Make to your point, make icon contact, smile, say my pleasure when somebody said thank you. So um, I'm, I'm giving you a long answer, but it's it really goes back to my earlier point. A brand is not just a product. It's not just advertising. A brand is everything associated with what that business does and what they stand for. And great leaders are intentional about shaping the brand promise and shaping the brand experience. I want to go deeper on that, uh, Steve. So we had uh, my pleasure at the drive-through last night on our way home. Good. Was, uh, went to Good. the Smoky Mountains uh, with the family and did some hiking. And uh, uh, my daughter made sure to tell you, say, because we uh, uh, she <laughs> was talking about this today's interview. And she said you made sure and tell them that that we ate here tonight. <laughs> Good. Um, I have a pension and, program. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I want to go on, on, on the my pleasure, right? So. I, I it was it was it was intentional. It wasn't flippant. Um, talk. I want today's conversation to be actionable for entrepreneurs right. listening today. That this right. isn't some theory about being relational and that's your promise. Get really gritty specific. How did how did you train that? How did you systematically make yep. that part of the DNA of the of the company? Well, it was probably. Let me let me think about the time schedule here. It was probably the mid 2000s, 2005, 2006. We're pushing uh, two billion in sales. We've had a very intentional run after we'd started free standards. We're probably up to something like 600 free standards, and we've spent many of the years of building those focused on how do we deliver consistent operational excellence every every customer encounter food's right deliveries right transactions accurate etc etc and yet uh when you looked at the customer data um uh, in terms of chick-fil-a versus other competitive fast foods uh we were only we we were better but we were just the best of a bad lot is what it really amounted to we we were not uniquely different and so we started to struggle with the question, how do we position ourselves com completely in the completely in different space than all these people around us? And interestingly, about the same time, a book came out called Blue Ocean Strategy that dealt with this very 
issue. Still a great book, yeah. Still a great book. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And uh, at this, also at the same time, uh, we go to our national seminar, our national convention for the Chick-fil-A operators and their, fam their, their spouses and all the staff. And for the third year in a row, Truett gets up and says, you know, I want to make a request to you. I've made it two years now. I want to make it a third year. When a customer says thank you to your team members, will you please ask your team members to say my pleasure? And he told the story about how he'd, and he told the story for the third time, how he'd been in a Ritz-Carlton and he experienced team members saying my pleasure. And it wasn't just the words, it was their body language and their eye contact and the genuineness of the experience. And I'll shorten the story, simply say, Dan Cathy, his oldest son, myself, and a few others, we organized a, a, a team. Okay, let's figure out how we're gonna do this across 50,000 team members. How are we gonna institutionalize that kind of behavior? Yeah. And it's not, it's not an easy task. And we benchmarked companies that had a great reputation for their brand around hospitality and service. We literally visited the stores, even visited their corporate headquarters, Nordstrom's, uh, Apple stores, um, Zappos, Southwest Airlines, Nike, um, et cetera. And what we learned was um, it does begin with the culture where the first priority is if you can possibly do it, attract and hire talent that has the gift of hospitality. Not everybody has it. And so there was, there was things we learned about, okay, how do we help operators recruit talent, not just the work in the kitchen or uh, produce product, but to also interact, and they have they have a natural bent towards hospitality. Then we then we looked at how these companies institutionalize, systematize their training. And yeah. so the headline here: is we took seven years of benchmarking other brands, doing research with customers to figure out what are the behaviors they truly noticed and value. We honed in on things like not just my pleasure, but flowers on the tables carrying large orders, quietly cleaning tables, refreshing drinks without asking, um, the, develop the app to be store-centric rather than cor corporate-centric, et cetera, et cetera. We then tested it in about 100 stores for over two years, Mike, because operators thought this is all warm, fuzzy stuff. I'm just trying to get people through the restaurant. Right. What's it gonna really do for me? And after over two years of testing in the restaurants, the stores that were following the behavior model, the training, the processes, their same store sales increase was almost double the rest of the chain, yeah. which meant they were making more money. And at, at that juncture, we had the legs to go out and roll it out. So it was a seven-year seven process. So by the time we rolled it out, it wasn't corporate forcing it down the throat. It had the backing and the endorsement of operators that said, you know, this is this really works. It's changed the environment in my store. We're having more fun. People are coming back more often. Da 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 da. da and we're making more money. So See, that's just this is so cool. I, I, I think I think entrepreneurs can so easily dismiss uh, kind of some of the warm fuzziness of, of experience, right? Um, right. 
but uh, I mean, my encouragement to, to employers of all sizes, uh, but especially growing small companies, uh, it, it, it's a process, right? There's a process for the recruiting. There's a process for the development. There's a uh, there's testing. There's A/B testing. What's works better in this or this? Uh, you're clearly a data hound, right? Re re reading your book. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just couldn't encourage uh, entrepreneurs enough that yeah. think about these things down to the every nitty gritty layer of the customer's experience and make a process, systematically design it, A/B right. test, measure it, quantify it, and then roll it out so it does become part of the system. Right. <laughs> But it, um, it does start with a leader. I mean, it starts with Truett for three years telling that story. And it, and it ultimately starts with a guy who used to always tell the operators, every customer you interact with needs encouragement. And he would ask the question, how do you know if someone needs encouragement? Look in the mirror. <laughs> right. We all right. need encouragement. We're, we're all human beings. And for Truett, the business was also a platform to demonstrate uh, his personal faith, his belief that Christian and biblical values really worked in business, but not via soapbox or verses on packaging, but right. how, how we ran the business and how we interacted with customers. And eventually, uh, operators move beyond being transactional oriented. They are all in now. I mean, you, you experienced it with your daughter yesterday. Right. Um, they're all in on dealing with every customer with, with an attitude of, you need encouragement. I'm here to encourage you. I really am glad you're here. And I care about this whole experience being a good experience. Now they're, they're not saying they're telling them that, but that's the embedded DNA of the Chick-fil-A culture which you you then have to figure out oh, how do you put process and systems to it and it'd be no different for any other entrepreneur steve you'd be you'd be so proud so because so we get we get the food uh the young lady hands it to us i get the eye contact i get the smile i get the my pleasure and i look at the girls and i'm like see uh, uh did you hear her? she said my pleasure and she's like dad they always say my pleasure it's like there's this built-in expect expectation down to that granular of a level. It's, it's well, just so remember again. Remember, Truett had to make that request of the Chick Fil A Opera family three years in a row, and they were almost to the person. They were all skeptics. So don't hear me say this is easy. It's not easy. Yeah. And if yeah. leaders are not leader leaders are not committed to being something more than a transactional brand. If they're not committed to showing genuine engagement and concern for everyone they deal with, it, it won't work. Um, because what Truett and others who were in leadership, including me, even after all these systems were in place, um, our priority was just keep telling stories, keep telling stories, keep telling stories to illustrate that this is what it looks like. This is how people react to it. Here's how lives are being impacted and touched. Here's how it's impacting better team members being attracted to the business. And oh, by the way, sales are double digit increases. I mean, my my last two years, Chick-fil-A had double digit same store sales increases. And it wasn't until this year 
that they haven't continued to have double digit sales increases. Now that's not because some expensive, powerful marketing coming out of the home office. It's because of the way people are getting treated at every individual store. Right, right. Um, before I move on, Stephen, I, I, I want to talk about the brand experience from an employment level. Before I yeah. do that, can you, can you give some guidance to the, the these uh, to an entrepreneur? So, so uh, uh, it's the golf course uh, manager. It's the uh, uh, landscaping firm with three crews. People are grinding it out every day. Right. Uh, I think they they probably get how to implement some of these things. How do you? It's probably not so obvious how to quantify and measure the effectiveness in, yep. in these experiences. Can you speak into that for us? Yeah. Um, before I speak to how do you measure it, let me first speak to how you potentially recreate it. Um, you, you, to really understand Chick-fil-A, you have to understand who is operating these restaurants. <clears throat> They're called Chick-fil-A operators. They're independent contractors. Legally, they're franchisees, but they're not equity franchisees. All the stores are, the sites are picked, the site, the stores are built fully equipped by Chick-fil-A. They're owned by the corporation. But if you're a Chick-fil-A operator and we select you to run a restaurant, then you're gonna do a, a deal where you pay a percentage off the top for the use of the brand and all the support systems and services that come with it. After all your expenses, including talent, because those team members work for you, not for Inc. After all your expenses, we're going to split the bottom line with you 50-50. So half your income is coming from half net operating profit every month. Now, I, I give you that model because, to me, this is actually the real, operationally, this is the genius of Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Um, yeah. Truett figured out how to recreate himself the entrepreneurial spirit in every restaurant he didn't want he didn't want to handhold operators or managers he didn't want managers in fact he started with managers and he quit and created this model he didn't want to handhold them he wanted them to be uh, empowered to make decisions on their own and he wanted them to be self-motivated to take care of every customer grow sales solve problems and this model does it and so you you have in the, you have restaurants now doing seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars, uh, 100, 120, 150 team members per restaurant. Um, that, that's not a typical fast food manager leader. I mean, right. big time business. <clears throat> right now, in in order to do that uh, and have that work, now I'm getting to your question you have to have really good systems of measurement because these people are highly empowered. You want them to, we used to tell them all the time, we want you to activate and even leverage the brand for your income, but we have not invited you to reinvent the brand. So um, they use customer research at the store level, uh, internet as well as random phone surveys to find out about customer's experience. Very often, if you look at the back of your receipt, you're invited to do a, a survey, internet survey. Uh, they're compiling that data on every store, every every quarter. They're rolling it up by market. They're rolling it up for the whole chain. So first of all, the operator has a built-in 
accountability system that's customer based with that data. And they're measuring that data is giving feedback on the operational experience, the people service experience, cleanliness, the whole bit. Secondly, they're doing research at the market level, the brand, Chick-fil-A brand versus other brands. And they can break that data down, not by store, but by market. So they can tell Atlanta versus Dallas or some other city, how they're performing, not only versus their competitors, how they're performing versus other Chick-fil-A markets. Mm -hmm. P&L's part of the operator service is P&L accounting services. So uh, that means Chick-fil-A has complete access and uh, transparency into the P&L in every store every month. I mean, right down to the, every transaction. Um, all the cash flows going through a central bank. There's transparency mm -hmm. for operators as well as home office. So you have complete accountability through the financials. So the P&L doesn't lie, whether the operator's managing costs and, and you know, inventories and everything else, whether, that, whether he or she's doing a good job with running the store financially. Yeah. So customer data, <laughs> you have brand data for the city, and you have financial data monthly. And all that is not held by Chick-fil-A Inc. and look, look at the operator like Big Brother. All that is fed to the operator every month. They know exactly how they're doing. They know how they're doing versus other Chick-fil-A stores. And if there is a problem at a certain level, that data will flag somebody in the Chick-fil-A corporate operational department and say, hey, there's something going on at this store. You probably need to follow up with, with Mike to see. He seems to have, the data suggests there's a problem here. So you also, the last step is accountability with a staff member, not the other way around. And, and most franchisees, organizations, franchise organizations have this huge field staff that's creating this accountability through staff engagement, where Chick-fil-A's accountability is first and foremost through the customer, through the brand data, and through the financial data. For for people that come from that from your world, say what you mean by that. So good. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, for for people who don't come from the say a retail franchise oriented world, what what, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? Is, <clears throat> In the accountability model specifically. Well, there you want the the store the operator has to deliver on the brand specs, everything about it, the food, the hospitality the speed of service, et cetera, et cetera. They have to deliver on the brain specs in terms of what proper P&L looks like. Yeah. So um, as long as those data systems are there and they're constantly going by the operator, they, they know exactly where the, how they're performing. And I, I won't unpack it, but there are ranges of performance that, that put up red flags. And so if there's an area where they're kind of out of spec, whether it's food related or financial related or customer feedback, they're going to know it. And they're going to know that somebody in the office knows it. Now, the mo what I'm saying is most other franchise organizations are, are kind of heavy on the, the, the corporate field staff being the point of a primary or first, first accountability. And, and because Chick-fil-A's got these highly motivated and engaged <clears throat> entrepreneur operators, 
the genius of what Truett and Jimmy designed was, no, we're going to create accountability first and foremost through data. And then we'll deal with an operator in a consulting role if there's a problem. Now, the last point of accountability, and probably the most powerful one, is that the operator deal for both parties has a 30-day exit clause. Hmm. <laughs> so wow. the operator understands that if I'm out of spec too long on whatever the metrics is, my deal could be at risk. And so there's, as you might imagine, there's very little turnover and there's very few operators that would they have a problem, uh, not only get on it, but very often pick up the phone and set, call somebody on staff and say, I got a problem with X, I need help. Yeah. So those, those, it's kind of this layered system of data, way down the pecking order, then a field staff member, last resort is the, the potential of actually losing your store. 30 days notice. And Steve, the thing that I, so I'm so glad you stopped me before just going right to data. Um, I think maybe my recap for, for the audience today is you, you, there's no such thing as data without systems and process, right? And so, um, you know, we were talking about the, the, the my pleasure, the flowers, uh, the, the, the things I think we maybe stereotypically think about a, a brand experience with a customer um in how you have to be systematic about those and a b test and pro uh, 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 turn them into processes that are repeatable but right. it goes but you you took it before that what, part of part of what you said the secret to chick-fil-a was right down to the operator agreement right in the ownership structure in the incentive right. structure how that's codified into process and that is what is wildly different than the rest of the the the, the industry. That's and, correct. Yeah, and when you have then when you have process that is repeatable, now you can start measuring performance against that process. But without process, there's nothing to measure. Am I am I understanding this? That, that's correct. If, unless you have process and systems, and impl implicit in the process and systems, they're designed to deliver some brand performance metric whether it's the right temperature or whatever. Right. Uh, if you don't have those things, then what are you measuring? <laughs> you, right. You've got to be very clearly defined for your partner, in this case, Chick-fil-A operator. All right, here are the things that are, that are expected in the Chick-fil-A performance, right down to the spec on every product, the customer interaction, the hospitality experience, cleanliness, every aspect of it is, I mean, the operator manual is yay thick, and it's very clear on this is what is expected for the sandwich, for the waffle fries, for a milkshake, the da 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 da. And yeah. so your data, your your customer data, and by the way, I left one out. Another one is mystery shoppers, where they're actually going in and they're they're ordering, they're eating, they're you know they're even check, checking temperatures, they're they're observing all the flowers, all those hospitality performance things are going on. Are yep. there flowers? Are they cleaning tables? Are they refreshing drinks? They, they either are or they aren't. Right. Okay. No different than there are, there are either two pickles on the sandwich or there aren't. <laughs> right. It's exactly the same principle. And you measure it. And 
and operators will, when they understand what the requirements are, the expectations are, the partner who's highly motivated, engaged, and empowered will figure out how to deliver it. And I think without getting too, too in all the weeds of this, Mike, I think the key message for your audience is, is if you have a distributed business, brand business, the most important decision you're making is your operating model, your leadership model. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be like Chick-fil-A's, but ideally, if you want to deliver a great brand experience, you have to have on-the-ground leaders who are engaged, who are motivated to be engaged, who are rewarded when things go well, and are, are empowered to solve problems without having to phone somebody at the home office. And that's what Chick-fil-A has. These, these, these Chick-fil-A independent operators are highly independent, but they understand the box top as the brand standards they have to deliver, and they're measured against it. Steve, I think you're spot on. And, and, and whether you're, whether you're a, a three-location business trying to go to 100 and, and trying to get scale, or you're a one-location company, maybe you're a virtual company, um, you, you, can't, you can't scale without those core decisions of a leadership process and an organizational structure uh, uh, that, will, that will align to that scale, right? Right. Right, I, and I'll give you, I'll repeat myself, but I think it's a key principle I stated earlier. <clears throat> I don't know how I did it. In fact, I would suggest probably genius that was divinely inspired, but Truett and Jimmy designed an operator model that was at the core was designed to recreate, recreate Truett. As an entrepreneur, engage, caring about every guest group, because as far as Truett was concerned, every store, every restaurant, every customer engagement reflected on his reputation. Not just the Nick, not just the name Chick Fil A, right? right. Him. And he made right. very clear to operators: you, you, you represent me. And so he, in fairness to them, he gave them a deal where they could work very, very hard and behaving like him and be rewarded for it. Um, now, you know, in the case of Chick-fil-A, the net of that is that, you know, 40 years plus now, you got operators who are making a, a very healthy <laughs> income. Um, and in the context of an operating model that probably nobody else in the fast food business is ever going to attempt to copy because it's so generous unbelievable right. it's unbelievably generous and and i and i think for the people watching and listening if you really want a highly engaged relational brand you gotta you gotta you gotta think about the issue of generosity are you gonna allow your local leadership to engage not just uh to deliver the brand standards but to be generous when generosity is called for. Steve, what's just jumping out to me here is, um, I, so I, I, I own three hair salons um, and I'm trying to grow, but uh, I chafe at the word process or systems 
because it's all about connections and it's personal and it's not intuitive that we can systematize that level of engagement. But when literally create a training process around saying, making eye contact uh, and saying my pleasure, when you literally train the exact technique to use when performing, you know, I'm not, I'm not a customer, obviously. So, but (laughs) the exact process is uh, where to stand, the words to say, uh, uh, you can, in fact, you can do it. Yeah. You can do That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the clock, uh, Steve. I, th- I think I want to shift this over to. So I, I, I love this, and as a marketer, I'd love to talk marketing with you for more time than you you would ever have, I'm sure. But speak to the the employment brand, because to me, you know, in in why I think probably a lot of people listening today, um, you know, see us as a payroll human resources company, which we are. Um, and any advice in a conversation like this that helps them grow their business from a, from an operations, from a marketing standpoint, great. Um, but to the context of hiring the right people, uh, developing them, training them, um, uh, there's, there's a brand experience, just like there's a brand experience from the customer from the very first interaction to how they pay, how they consume, how they dispose of the food, how they exit the, the parking lot. That's all a brand experience. Same thing for an, an employee from the employment application to the onboarding, to the training, to dare I say through 34, 35 years of retirement. Can, can, yeah. what, what, what's your guidance here? Well, I'll go all the way back to my last interview with Truett. I won't unpack the whole story. It's in my book. But he said something um, that kind of floored me. I was into my fifth month of interviewing and and I, I'm doing it stealth. And I asked Truett, I said, what are you looking for the ideal marketing candidate, Truett? Because they didn't have a marketing department. At the time I was director of marketing for Six Flags over Georgia. And he kind of threw me when he says, I have absolutely no idea. All I know is I don't want to do it. But, but then he said, um, but what I really care about, and I've said this already, is who you are. I don't know if I can trust you and we have fun together. But then he added this. He said, the most important decision we make here is who we invite into the business. Now, I I, um, I don't know that many companies, including, including even the one I was working for at the time, thought that way. And, um, and his <laughs> behavior and Jimmy's behavior lived up to that. The due diligence then and still now, that Chick-fil-A has about recruiting, vetting, and selecting talent. I think Truett figured out, I want to attract people that have a values DNA like mine. He said, we don't, we don't train culture here, we hire it. Well, that means you got to really do your homework to get a sense of who somebody is without, and you, just, you can't discriminate, you can't break the law, you just got to spend time with them and ask yeah. questions and get to know, you know, get to know how they spend their free time and what are they, you know, what, what, what do they like to read? If they're married, what, what are their, what do they like to do with their spouse, etc. And you start to get a sense of what's important to somebody. And that's what Truett and Jimmy designed into their, uh, their HR process was to go beyond skill set 
and or competency and get into the whole area of uh, personal chemistry and the the ability to develop fellowship and and be a team player um have character they could trust therefore empower you so my, my point is leaders have to decide what what are the what what are the dna uh, around purpose and values that you want to try to identify in potential talent because it's a lot easier to attract that that, that those those dna values than it is to train them and they apply that to the selection of operators so on the whole you get a you get a great operator who's who's not only competent but has great character has great chemistry with people well what happens they attract great people they attract more of them they keep them longer they have lower turnover they develop talent now over over half of the new operators every year in the chick-fil-a system are coming from existing stores they've grown up in the business so um, this issue of value D, values DNA and being very clear about what those are, and then how do you get a handle on in, within your recruiting and your vetting process? How you get a handle on whether somebody has those values? And it, it, I've already said it takes time, and you got to look beyond competency. Most companies stop at competency, right? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I just like my question around uh, how do you get data, your answer had to back us up to process, right? You got to have process before you can have data. Um, and you can't have uh, employment culture alignment without knowing what the culture you want is. And you can't know what the culture you want is if you haven't like really vetted what are our values right, right. that's right so so well, I, I give you an example i'll give you an example of, i'm not going to get into detail but i'll give you an example one betting question that was commonly used and i loved it and i used it after you've spent quality time with a candidate whether it's an operator candidate or staff candidate you don't verbalize this question but i would ask myself this question i learned it from true what i want my children or my grandchildren working for this person Okay. In other words, we become who we hang around with. We become what we read and who we spend time with. And yeah. can I see my grandchildren or my children being a better person because they're working for this person sitting across from me? My experience is your intuition kicks in really quick and you get a yes or a no pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an example. Steve, so uh, speak to the other side of it. So hiring the right people. Um, so first you got to define what your values are and what the culture you're seeking. Then you find candidates that fit it. So yeah. there's a there's a, a prerequisite to, to to even developing a good hiring process. Um, I, I loved uh, you know it was it was kind of jarring uh, uh, how. Uh, uh Truett, you know said hey when, I, when you were in your five and a half month interview um hey yeah I, I want you to be here until one of us dies right i mean there was this mentality of commitment yes. marriage uh, we call it a marriage yeah um 
there is a reality that you're going to have, especially in a big organization, you're going to have some turnover. How, yeah. how, how do you, how did, what's your guidance? Maybe not Chick-fil-A specific, however you want to answer it. What's your guidance on how to have this marriage long-term commitment um, mentality at the same time, holding a high bar for performance because yeah. the, that, just because you've committed doesn't mean you have to tolerate bad performance and or bad behavior. That's absolutely correct. You don't. Uh, I'll just give you the headline. I've, for me, and I think for the Chick-fil-A organization, as we got bigger, uh, I think many of our leaders would say yes to this. Um, we kept great talent by giving them new opportunities and challenges, not always a promotion but giving them new assignments, different assignments outside, maybe outside of their skill set, where they're learning, they're learning new things, they're developing new skills, they're developing their leadership. So I, I loved, to, and they're still doing it, moving people around. I mean, I was at the home office a week or two ago. I bet you, I'm guessing, but I'm probably pretty accurate. I bet you half the people that work for me in the marketing group, when I left, it was about 220 people. I bet you over half of them are in another department right now. Mm. So you give people the opportunity to grow. Now, the ones who really grow and really contribute, you, you do promote. And they do increase their earning power. Um, and those who can't perform or can't keep up with the growth of the business, you may have to invite them to find a career somewhere else. And I had to do that. That, that happens. Um, doesn't happen often, but it does happen. But I think the greatest way to keep talent long-term like Truett wanted was don't ever let the job get boring. Hmm. And, and if the job itself is not evolving in terms of constant innovation and change, the movement's Give them another assignment, move them, put them on another team, put them in another department. I mean, my successor started in IT. And awesome. I, I recruited him to help develop our IT infrastructure around customer facing, which ultimately led to the Chick-fil-A One app. But he, he's a fast learner, uh, he had time with Accenture and he was one of three people that were candidates to take my place, but he's a good illustration of, of a guy who, his background was not marketing, but he got the opportunity to come into marketing, learn it, contribute uniquely to our group, and he's now CMO. Well, and it ties back to how uh, Truett interviewed you, right? Searching for the right people not the right competencies, right? If you start start with people, not competencies, competencies can be developed uh, and grown. It's hard to change people at their core, right? That's right. So, so, I, so I say that, and I mean that. I also don't want to dismiss competencies because, and so, I mean, uh, a, a marketer in today's era, I mean, the, the competencies required to, so, so some of the core principles of, of marketing are relatively unchanged, right? Um, yes. Tools have changed yes. wildly and continue to evolve wildly. And uh, right. the tools yesterday are not the tools of today. How do you, how do you approach competency in the mix for, yeah. yeah, go ahead. 
Well, um, one I just mentioned, giving people new assignments where they learn something. They have to learn something new in order to do the assignment. Yeah. Uh, two, offering continued continuous education opportunities. I mean, we beyond moving people around, we we were constantly offering people chances to learn from other organizations, go to advanced education and colleges, go to seminars, uh, doing go do an internship with another business so they can learn a skill set we needed. Um, the willingness to invest time and money into somebody to learn learn new skills and uh, almost overwhelm them with the opportunities to do that so if if they're not doing it then you then you you kind of learn okay i got a problem here i don't i i need learners in my organization and i got somebody here who's not a learner um, doesn't happen often but occasionally it does so i i think those are the two biggest contributors to learning continuing to evolve with your skill set is moving people around but then giving them personal development educational opportunities outside of the business whether it's through academics or internships or um, in mentoring relationships whatever i love that uh, so I, I know you got a hard stop coming up so maybe i'll just touch on one more topic and let's talk about a. Uh... You talk about it in the book, so it's hopefully not a too painful a subject. But what about really big lessons? Can you can you share your your two million dollar mistake story? Yeah, I, I think you've got it on the screen here. Um, I was actually fortunate to have this experience early in my career, my second year there. Um, I, I ran a national promotion, and I, quite frankly, I learned real quick I was too aggressive. And I was too aggressive in the context of lack of knowledge. I didn't have enough experience. I shouldn't have done it. And it went over budget $2 million. Now this is when Chick-fil-A is a $120 million business. So 2 million bucks was a big deal. Big deal. It was also 1982 when we were in midst of a national financial crisis. Um, this, this mistake was part of, not the only thing, but part of contributing to Chick-fil-A our executive committee going off site to deal with cash flow problem. And we not only worked on the cash flow problem, but we walked out of there with our corporate purpose. Yeah. Uh, I often think crises or mistakes uh, ought to force us to step back, be humble, be objective. Now, what can I learn from this? Um, and for Chick-fil-A, it was transformative because as a leadership group, we wrote the corporate purpose uh, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all those entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all the common contact with Chick-fil-A. We wrote it in two days. Um, now, the, this specific mistake resulted in us deciding we're not going to market, I'm giving you the headline, we're not going to market Chick-fil-A the way other fast food chains market. This was a coupon-based promotion. We decided we're never going to do coupons and discounting again. We stopped yep. and we completely inverted the marketing model. Um, we made it an operator centric model rather than a corporate centric marketing model. Uh, we empowered the operators. We gave them the resources and the ideas for them to build the business, not controlling everything out of Atlanta. And um, this mistake is was, was the catalyst for what eventually developed uh, what I call renegade marketing 
whatever the marketing issue or strategy is we were considering, if it looks and smells anything like the rest of the industry, we're not going to do it. And so cattle campaign is a great example. We, we, we decided we're not going to show food. We're not going to show price. Um, we're not going to try to just communicate. We want your business. We want your money. Uh, we decided we're going to wear a campaign that will make people smile and make the brand memorable. And because the reality is you can show a chicken sandwich and change the logo and it, you can't tell whose it is. Um, so I, I, I'm a great believer in don't, um, don't throw people out when they make a mistake. Give them a chance to step back, be humble, think, strategize. What did you learn? What is the bigger implication on the business? Um, I already told you in the case of Chick-fil-A, it was it was transforming for the business and it was transforming for me and my team. Yeah, and Steve, a couple of things that I heard when when listen when uh, reading your book, listening to you speak here, um, the 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 approach to hiring the right people, not just the competencies, the the, the example that Truett set that you weren't shown the door when you made this no, mistake. No. In fact, I went to Jimmy and I apologized. Within a, about a week, I knew I'd made a real big mistake. And he yes. said, uh, he said, don't worry about it. He said, I was part of it. I approved it. And he said, besides, we just invested $2 million in your education. You'll never make that mistake again. Well, it, and then the hum humility, the humility cascaded because it was not just how they treated you but uh, you know you're kind of a legendary marketer, and I, one of the things that really jumps out to me is uh, you know from the hospitality to the cows to the processes to the the the, the data centric approach that you take. Um, it's not Atlanta up on headquarters on high telling everybody how it's going to be done because you're the smartest guy in the room. You almost take the opposite approach. I mean, you give all the credit away to everyone else. Uh, and, and it's a decentralized operator-centric marketing approach, right? That's absolutely Here's where I netted out, and this mistake contributed to it. Chick-fil-A customers don't care who the CMO is. <laughs> they, don't, they don't even care who the CEO is. All <laughs> right. they care about is what kind of experience do they have at that brand, <laughs> at that restaurant? Um, they they don't even care who came up with the cow campaign. All they care about is they enjoy the jokes. That's right. That's right. So That's right. it's not about me. It's not a. It's quite frankly, it's not about any leader. If they'll really step back and be objective about it. Um, the question is, am I contributing to creating an environment where people can thrive? And um, I learned it from Truett, and then I just tried to make that happen. In, in my in my sphere of influence. Well, Steve, for my seat, you you did. Um, I'll give you the platform. It would seem seem ironic to to do so, but I know we're at time. Uh, I, I highly recommend the book. It's great. Um, the, the 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 combination of personal story uh, along with really good practical advice uh, for how to think about growing a business. Is there anything you'd like to say about how you help clients today post Chick Fil A? Well, I uh, I did the book. I'd still do some public speaking. 
Um, I have a website, srobinsonconsulting.com. Uh, I have resources there. I have some, I have some articles there. I have some other blog, blog broadcasts. Uh, the book is still on the market at Amazon and, and uh, other resources. So uh, I'm honored that people enjoy the book and they're still buying it. I hope your audience will give it a shot. Yeah, I highly recommend. Uh, uh, and Steve, I just, it was, it was a pleasure. It was a real pleasure. It was a pleasure yeah. reading the book. Getting when you read someone's book, uh, you feel like you get to know them. That's a little unfair because they don't get to know you, perhaps. But uh, today did nothing but uh, uh, validate every every word. So really, really enjoyed our time. That this hour flew by. For well, me. Same, same here. I enjoyed doing it. All right. Thank you so much for joining, and thanks everyone else for joining. Until next week, if there's anything we can do to help you with payroll, human resources, compliance, tax filing. Uh, uh, staying compliant while building a great team to grow your business, uh, by all means, let us know. Otherwise, until next week, talk to you soon. Have a great day.